Section 21 of Mark Twain, A Biography, Part 1, 1900-1907. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Mark Twain, A Biography, by Albert Bigelow Payne. Chapter 232, The Sad Journey Home. A tidal wave of sympathy poured in, noble and commoner, friend and stranger, humanity of every station, sent their messages of condolence to the friend of mankind. The cablegrams came first, bundles of them from every corner of the world, then the letters, a steady inflow. Howells, Twitchell, Aldridge, those oldest friends who had themselves learned the meaning of grief, spoke such few and futile words as the language can supply to allay a heart's mourning, each recalling the rarity and beauty of the life that had slipped away. Twitchell and his wife wrote, Dear, dear Mark, there is nothing we can say. What is there to say? But here we are, with you, all, every hour and every minute, filled with unutterable thoughts, unutterable affection for the dead and for the living. Harmony and Joe. Howells in his letter said, She hallowed what she touched far beyond priests. What are you going to do, you poor soul? A hundred letters crowd in for expression here, but must be denied. Not, however, the beam of hope out of Helen Keller's illumined night. Do try to reach through grief and feel the pressure of her hand, as I reach through darkness and feel the smile on my friend's lips and the light in their eyes, though mine are closed. They were adrift again, without plans for the future. They would return to America to lay Mrs. Clemens to rest by Susie and little Langdon, but beyond that they could not see. Then they remembered a quiet spot in Massachusetts, Tyringham, near Lee, where the Gilders lived, and so on June 7th he wrote, Dear Gilder family, I have been worrying and worrying to know what to do. At last I went to the girls with an idea, to ask the Gilders to get us shelter near their summer home. It was the first time they have not shaken their heads. So tomorrow I will cable to you and shall hope to be in time. An hour ago the best heart that ever beat for me and mine was carried silent out of this house, and I am as one who wanders and has lost his way. She who is gone was our head, she was our hands. We are now trying to make plans. We, we who have never made a plan before, nor ever needed to, if she could speak to us, she would make it all simple and easy with a word, and our perplexities would vanish away. If she had known she was near to death, she would have told us where to go and what to do, but she was not suspecting, neither were we. She was all our riches, and she is gone. 
she was our breath she was our life and now we are nothing we send you our love and with it the love of you that was in her heart when she died s l clemens they arranged to sail on the prince oscar on the twenty ninth of june there was an earlier steamer but it was the princess irene which had brought them and they felt they would not make the return voyage on that vessel during the period of waiting a curious thing happened clemens one day got up in a chair in his room on the second floor to pull down the high window sash it did not move easily and his hand slipped it was only by the merest chance that he saved himself from falling to the ground far below he mentions this in his notebook and once speaking of it to frederick dunica he said had i fallen it would probably have killed me and in my bereaved circumstances the world would have been convinced that it was suicide it was one of those curious coincidences which are always happening and being misunderstood the homeward voyage and its sorrowful conclusion are pathetically conveyed in his notes june twenty ninth nineteen o four sailed last night at ten the bugle called to breakfast i recognized the notes and was distressed when i heard them last livy heard them with me now they fall upon her ear unheeded in my life there have been sixty-eight junes but how vague and colorless sixty-seven of them are contrasted with the deep blackness of this one july first nineteen o four i cannot reproduce livy's face in my mind's eye i was never in my life able to reproduce a face it is a curious infirmity and now at last i realize it is a calamity july second nineteen o four in these thirty-four years we have made many voyages together livy dear and now we are making our last you down below and lonely i above with the crowd and lonely july third nineteen o four ship time eight a m in thirteen hours and a quarter it will be four weeks since livy died thirty-one years ago we made our first voyage together and this is our last one in company susie was a year old then she died at twenty-four and had been in her grave eight years july tenth nineteen o four Tonight it will be five weeks. But to me it remains yesterday, as it has from the first. But this funeral march, how sad and long it is. Two days more will end the second stage of it. July 14th, 
1904. Elmira. Funeral private in the house of Livy's young maidenhood, where she stood as a bride thirty-four years ago. There her coffin rested, and over it in the same voice that had made her a wife then committed her departed spirit to God now. It was Joseph Twitchell who rendered that last service. Mr. Beecher was long since dead. It was a simple, touching utterance, closing with this tender word of farewell. Robert Browning, when he was nearing the end of his earthly days, said that death was the thing that we did not believe in, nor do we believe in it. We who journeyed through the bygone years in companionship with the bright spirit now withdrawn are growing old. The way behind is long, the way before is short. The end cannot be far off. But what of that? Can we not say, each one, so long that power hath blessed me, sure it still will lead me on o'er moor and fen, o'er crag and torrent, till the night is gone, and with the morn their angel faces smile, which I have loved long since, and lost a while. And so, good-bye, good-bye, dear heart, strong, tender, and true, Goodbye, until for us the morning break and these shadows fly away. Dr. Eastman, who had succeeded Mr. Beecher, closed the service with a prayer, and so the last office we can render in this life for those we love was finished. Clemens ordered that a simple marker should be placed at the grave, bearing, besides the name, the record of birth and death, followed by the German line, Gott sei dir gnädig, o meine Wonne. End of chapter 232, The Sad Journey Home, read by John Greenman.